Thank you for coming back on, Wendy. Thank you for having me back on. And we're going to try to talk about uh, curl fiction this time around, I think. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, I just wanted to ask, like, um, I think because a lot of people I know on Twitter and whatnot, and people have who've talked about your writing have said, like, how much they've learned about your writing, how much they've learned through your writing. And I just wanted to ask you, like, um, I think you have a poem where you talk about getting how, like, you got into, I think, first, like, maybe Eduardo Galliano, and then how you got into, um, like, Henry Louis Gates Jr. and whatnot. And I was just wondering, like, so how did, how did you come to a lot of the sources that you used in, like, Brazilian is not a race? Like, how, how did you, I guess, come across, start coming across this, like, left scholarship? Um, well, so it started um, because I started, unfortunately, this is a, a story that I think a lot of women can tell about dating, but I basically met a man, and this has happened a lot in my life, um, <clears throat> but whatever. Uh, I met a man who was or is an anarchist, and he had spent time in Latin America, in um, Mexico, Chiapas especially, uh, and Nicaragua, and Bolivia, just all over Latin America, and he was, you know, just a lot more knowledgeable about these things than I was, and um, it got me, he was a lover of Galliano, and he was the one who recommended that I read, uh, I think it was Mirrors by Galliano, but I just, for some reason, I, I started um, with Genesis and the Trilogy of Fire um, series, I guess. <clears throat> And when I started reading that, uh, it just completely changed the way that I saw Latin America. And um, I mean, my partner, Josh, who's the person I'm talking about, he uh, would tell me about like going to Chiapas to, um, you know, uh, learn from the Zapatistas, basically, and spending time there, how... uh, even people from like Mexico city that would go into Chiapas. He told me that, you know, it's just a completely different culture in Chiapas, well, specifically among the Zapatistas and lang- like the language isn't the same. So there, um, you know, so the Zapatistas like saw people from Mexico city as, you know, basically not like them. And, I don't know if he said gringo or some basically, but basically that like there, there wasn't this huge, like, Oh, Mexicans, we're all together and going on among the Zapatistas, which makes sense. You know, um, there's lots of indigenous people in Mexico who don't, uh, I mean, they're fighting Mexico. They're not with Mexico, you know? So, um, it, it kind of opened my eyes to that. And then, you know, because he loved Galliano too, and I started reading Galliano, just kind of reaffirmed that there'd been these, you know, constant battles between indigenous people and European people all across Latin America, and they continue to this day. Um, that's how I, I started. Um, and then I just kind of kept going because I, I don't know, I didn't, I, it really struck me that I grew up literally 30 minutes away from a border 
and didn't really understand what I was even going into. I went to Mexico all the time as a kid, like with my parents, of course, but then eventually as a teenager, you know, without permission from my parents to go drinking. And I started drinking by the time I was like 13, 14, because we could go to Mexico. And I spent so much time down there and there were definitely differences between people that I noticed, but I just never thought about it that much. And it really struck me that like none of this was ever talked about in any of my classes growing up, none of it, you know? Um, and then I, the, the more I started, I just became aware that I had, had not been told so much. And when, once that happens, you, you become really alert when other things come up that like, you know, the thing with the Alamo and how they're, you know, component of that fight was about slavery. And it really struck me that we never learned that growing up. There's just all these things that I had never learned growing up. And um, yeah, it just really got me going. Yeah, I think I, I think I first came across uh, Galliano through, um, this was like 10 years ago now, I think when um, Hugo Chavez gave Barack Obama a copy, in, a copy of Open Veins of Latin America. Like, hey, you should read Oh, it. yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, being, yeah. So being uh, an edgy teen growing up in a small town, I was like, ooh, I got to check this out. Um, That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I wanted to say, like, to go, like, you wrote about the Zapatistas in one of your uh, poems from the second section, like something like, uh, you can't describe the cruel fiction. You can't describe the cruel fiction races without history, which did not end. Indigenous people are still in it. Black Latinx are still in it. Um, if who you are depends on ignoring the Zapatistas, who are you becoming? Uh, who will you say you are? And I was just, yeah, yeah and I was just like wondering, like, because I think a lot of that for me, like, resonates with like you know you citing some of like Gerald Warren's work and some of mm -hmm. uh, Jared Sexton's work. So I was wondering, like, how you how you came to that, I guess. Uh, how I came to Jared Sexton and um, yeah, yeah, uh, and Ger Gerald Horn. You know, I don't know how exactly. I, like, some of this is accident because you know when you start, like, well, actually, with Jared Sexton, I should say I met these students in 2015, who I I was organizing with, basically me and some students from Berkeley and. Friend, other friends outside of Berkeley, uh, we we wrote a letter uh, trying to get Vanessa Place um, uninvited from uh, a, I think it was I forget the name of the festival, but it was some kind of poetry festival that was happening in 2015. Um, and one of the people that I met, uh, one of the students, because I I wasn't a student, but like. There was basically someone I knew who was at Berkeley, and they knew of these students that had problems with Vanessa Place coming, and I had problems with Vanessa, Vanessa Place going there, and so they, they connected us. And um, one of the students ended up like, you know, we became friends on Facebook, and they would see the stuff that I would say all the time about, I think by that point I was already reading Galliano, and, you know, I had a lot more to say about, like, race in Latin America. And they were like, have you read Jared Sexton? You should really read Jared Sexton. And, um, and the interesting thing about that, too, is that I had started reading um, Frank Wilderson probably in 2014 because he, uh, Frank Wilderson went to Berkeley, too. Does he and teach there? No, he doesn't. He's at UC Irvine. 
But um, because he was at Berkeley, he was also friends with these random connections. So much of, I take coincidence very seriously. (laughs) This is where I am kind of like woo in that way. Like I believe in, you know, like I believe that you should take coincidences seriously. So when I encounter, you know, certain names again and again, and for instance, Jared Sexton's, uh, you know, like he's a, colleague of Wilderson's and they work together on things they have very similar ideas or at least like they resonate with each other and they see themselves together you know <clears throat> so um I knew that I knew that but Wilderson I became familiar with Wilderson in 2014 because some of um our black anarchist conrads were connected to him um through basically relatives that were in his cohort at Berkeley um and they so they introduced us to his work and he kind of became much bigger. You know, they're still relatively like small, I think, but like they, they became much bigger than they were in 2014, like 13, 14. I think that's when we became more familiar with Wilderson. Anyway, so I had already been reading Wilderson and then, you know, like becoming more aware of, uh, Latin America and like its fullest sense like I would definitely recommend to anybody to read that trilogy of fire by Galeano because it, it's it's amazing it's a bunch of vignettes which are like you know short sections that um, describe various things like a tapestry of just little stories and it leaves you with all of these like impressions you know so after three volumes of this like the history of the Americas it just the the I I guess I could just say tapestry again, like but what it leaves you with, like the picture of the Americas is so very different than anything that my history classes left me with, you know, and it's very much like indigenous black European, you know, <laughs> like it's just it's a lot fuller. Anyways, but so um in two thousand fifteen when I met this student who suggested Jared Sexton, it took me a little while, but I eventually got around to him too. Uh, Gerald Horn, that was an accident like that. I was just online, like trying to find out more about this thing I had a feeling about, you know, just like I was like, well, what people aren't talking about Afro-Mexicans. And I just started looking stuff up and I found this book, Black and Brown, and um, it's called Black and Brown, like uh, African-Americans in the... uh, Mexican Revolution, I think that's what it's called. And but I found it like kind of an accident. Like you know when you go through Amazon and you like people who read this read this and I did that a lot. And so I was just reading up on like things that would pop up and then I saw Gerald Horn and friends of mine at that point were reading Gerald Horn's other book about 1776 and the revolution, which I have not read but I have it on my shelf, you know. Um so I was like, I'm going to get his book. And that book is amazing. Black and Brown is such an amazing book. Um, but that's how I found them. There was a student and then there was an accident. Yeah, I think I came across Jared Sexton's work through Frank Wilderson. And I think I came across Gerald Horn's work through, I think I might have first heard about him through um, I Mix What I Like, which is a, a radio show by, um, I want to say, Professor Jared Ball, who I oh, think is, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, and I think he had, I mean, he might have had Gerald Horn on to talk about the counter-revolution of 1776, maybe? And I yeah, think that that's might, like the big popular yes, one, yeah. Yeah, I think that's how I first heard of him, 
And I wanted to ask too, like, cause um, the Gerald Horn book you talk about, I think is probably where you maybe got some of like the history you cite in cruel fiction, like um, with the McGone brothers who, yes. who are really hard. Like I studied history in college and I only knew about them by accident because of a book Juan Gonzalez wrote called news for all the people where he talks about their newspaper. So, Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I was wondering like, um, how do you, how do they fit into cruel fiction for you? Uh, well, with Brazilian is not a race is like the main way that they came in there. And I actually didn't, I did learn a little bit, uh, from Horn on that one, but I actually learned more from this book called Rebellion in the Borderlands by, um, James A. Sandos. And it's at Anarchism in the Plan of San Diego, 1904 to 1921. It's like a significant book. It's, you know, it's not short <laughs> but it's really good and I, I just pulled it out because I'm at home so I pulled it out from my bookcase and it still has like all of these markers in it um I learned I, I'd say most of the stuff about the plan of San Diego most of it not all but most of it came from this book and uh Magon is a big part of that too yeah because that's like a really cool and interesting part of um American history and like with Gerald Horn's work, a lot of like what he does is like talk, I think maybe give agency back to um, like marginalized people, whether along the US yeah. Mexico border or uh, the, the African slaves, like, you know, in the counter revolution of 1776, which is the one I know the best. He talks about how, you know, like slaves were f uh, fleeing from the colonies to Florida or fleeing, you know, in Jamaica to the Maroons and how that, you know, put the fear of God into the white colonists and you know, caused, you know, a chain of events that, or was part of a chain of events that led to the revolution. Right. And, yeah. And in a lot of ways, you know, the, the history I think you're telling is inconvenient to, I suppose, the cruel fictions, because it talks about how these marginalized people who are part of the ethno states have, have agency. Right. I would hope so. I really hope. I mean, that is definitely my intent. And um, I would say that there's, so I can I haven't been able to find this, but there was some blog post a long time ago around the time of Occupy that I'll never forget. And it talked about like, you know, because most of the time when, when people hear like, just as an example, um, you know, there was this uh, protest and it became a riot and it became a riot and only because the cops did this thing or, you know, basically like always a reaction to like the cops or basically trying to take take the blame off of the people who are marginalized and sometimes it's true i don't want to say that it's not sometimes true but this blog really talked very well about how that kind of sucks too right like because we actually want to embrace those moments when we fight back you know like the whole thing with the plan of San Diego is people don't want to take it seriously. And it, it's a mix of like, Oh, well, sorry. What is the plan of San Diego in case people oh. are familiar? Oh, so the plan of San Diego was this um, document that was put together by these people that had been in prison. I believe in, they're like political prisoners in um, Monterey and some, and then they ended up in San Diego, Texas, which is like, <laughs> I'd never heard of it until I started reading this, but it still exists. It's kind of like in 
not South Texas. It is South Tex in South Texas, but it's like not as south as I am, uh, or I'm, where I'm from. But you know, it's north of there. But there's like a little town, and supposedly they like wrote up um, this document that was basically a plan to overthrow the U.S. <laughs> and in it is like, you know, we're going to overthrow the U.S. We're going to give the Apaches back their land. Um, and we're like, they were trying to also get like all the, there was different factions of the Mexican revolution that were, you know, trying to gain control and they really wanted for all those factions to work together to overthrow the U S and they wanted to like get the Apaches to also help overthrow the U S and the, because the Apaches were already fighting the U S. Um, and, and that's the thing, all these people were kind of fighting the U S but the, you know, like the, it wasn't a concerted effort at least on the part of the people in the Mexican Revolution to do that. They were in the middle of their own thing. But that's what the planet San Diego wanted to do, is like basically their focus was overthrowing the U.S. <laughs> and um, they're, in addition to giving the Apaches back their land, they, they had this plan to like annex a certain number of states that would be like specifically for black people. Like they would have power there. And there, you know, there was Afro-Mexicans. There was all kinds of people that like, came together around this plan but it's all very vague you know like the history is very because it's i mean it is like it didn't win you know <laughs> they didn't win and then there's all this like speculation around whether it was real or not and again like it's one of those things where i agree with gerald horn like gerald horn his big point was like whether it was real or not like what it did what like they the people saying that they were going to do this and like what happened around it was certainly real you know like it certainly stopped economic development in in the valley where i'm from my grandmother oh this is crazy what i found out after i wrote the brazilian is not a race and i was talking to my parents about this time period because my grandmother was born in 1917 and she was born in mexico she was the only one of her family born in mexico um on my dad's side and they and she was born in Mexico because they fled during that time to Monterrey because it was so violent in the valley. Um, and that was real, like regardless of, you know, whether people want to say that the plan of San Diego wasn't all that was very real. You know, <laughs> like it, it really did make people leave and people, you know, like my grandmother was born elsewhere and had to come back later when things calmed down. Um, but yeah, there's that blog post that I'm talking about, like basically there's was saying that there's how do I say this? Like, like it's disempowering in many ways to just be like, no, all these people were just victims, like all the stuff that was happening in South Texas with all of these Texas Rangers killing these, you know, um, Mexican and Mexican-American people. It was just power asserting itself and there was there was no truth to the fact that to the idea that the marginalized people were fighting back and when you keep telling that story it's kind of a terrible story after a while like dude i want to think that the marginalized people fight back and they do they do and i think embracing it is a really great thing to embrace that marginalized people fight back um yeah because you know you'll hear this all the time you'll be like well it's and it's always from a certain direction like in the streets, you'll hear it from liberals and like nonprofits will be like, these people that are marginalized, they can't be put in danger. 
marginalized people put themselves in danger all the time fighting for their lives and fighting for things that they just like a world that they actually want to live in and not the one where they're constantly victimized. That happens all the time. I'm not saying that that is default. That's not the default setting for anybody. But to act as if like that's just something that marginalized people don't do is actually disempowering and it tends to be paternalistic. And it's just a lie. Yeah, and that reminds me of, um, I think, was it poem 26 and like your second in the second part of your book where you it ends with you saying um well for i think it's important to state what it starts with it starts with i'd like to do more than tell stories everyone likes to pretend they don't know and it ends with mm. um we weren't taking the same risks that's the moral of the story that's why i'm still here and yeah yeah and i also too wanted to like maybe connect that with at a few times in this book you know you talk about like riots becoming parties becoming protests and then you know back again and i guess like how how do you how do you see that all that all connecting i guess the the risks and the stories you, you can't share maybe in this in this kind of book yeah there's a lot of stories you can't share i mean that's that's um that's a very big part i think i i've heard over and over like when i talk about this book people want to know like you know um basically how to you know they this is why I think that the writing can't be the work because the most helpful things I could probably tell probably don't tell them like, because there's so many things I can't talk about, you know, like there's just, you can't like, you can't, everybody will be mad at you and you will be mad at yourself too. Like you just can't talk about everything. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people, you know, involved and their risks are not like yours. You know, um, yours might be greater than some, but way less than other people's. That's what the whole risk thing. I mean, the reality is like you get into these, you get into something like a social movement and there's all kinds of people involved. Um, and some of them have a lot to lose. And some of them, you know, like don't have anything to lose because they never, I mean, it's just, there's a lot of different, there's different levels of risk here, you know, and, and some people are more likely to go to jail than others. And some people are likely to, you know, more likely to go to prison. Some people have records. Some people are disabled. Some people like, there's all these various things that like change risks from person to person. And there's just no way around it. That's just how it is. And, you know, but at the end of it, when like some people end up in prison, some people end up, you know, hurt in a way that like will affect them forever um some people you know ptsd all all these kinds of things like those things happen and you have to like be real with the fact that you never face some of those risks and you're also lucky that you know some things didn't happen to you but um yeah it's just it's it's not an equal kind of thing um how that connects to the party becomes riot and riot becomes party. I I mean, there's just the reality during and then the reality after. You know, I guess it's, I don't know if I'm actually successfully getting at the complicated mess that it all is, but I, I think one thing that's really important to me is to not, I don't want to romanticize any of this, like to the point where you you aren't thinking clearly anymore like there it's it's wonderful 
there's these points where it's wonderful, but there's also these points where it's not. And you, and you realize all of these like things like the varying risks or whatever. And for me, I guess I reached the point where when I said, that's why I'm still here, there are two ways that I mean that I'm still here because I didn't have to take like the risks that I took were not those that other people had to take and they suffered the consequences for. That's one way. The other way is I'm responsible. That's what I like because I am still here and because I know those things, I have to be here. Like that's how I feel. Like I can't not be here after seeing what I saw and knowing, knowing that people took, took a fall you know yeah and you know one of the things i was reminded of like about people taking risks i guess especially because it's in the next poem but like the uh hartman's like wayward girls as you say and the work she's done about you know the turn of the last century and the migration of black people to cities like philadelphia and new york city and mm-hmm. the the various risks they all faced there, but also the ways that they still had agency and resisted the, you know, the state and all the various laws that were put in place as this migration happened, I guess. And I guess for me, like what I'm getting at, like a lot of that narrative too is, you know, part of Hartman's idea of critical fabulation and so much of that you can't, really know and is in some ways a fiction that can never be known for certain if that makes sense yeah so i guess like for you like what does um like how does how does like poetry help you i guess express some of these uh stories you can't really tell hmm i mean i feel like there's what i can say in poems you know it's it's nice to have it's nice to have an outlet or basically like to be able to to describe some shared vision you know of the things that i guess okay so in my head i imagine that the only way my poems or anything i write or anything that my friends write will ever be relevant is if we win and so i imagine like people far into the future hopefully we've won and and either like my work will have affected somebody else's and so there'll be like some remnant there or but all of it's like very future oriented to imagine like people reading about like a history of what happened you know and just like these various struggles you know and and there are plenty things that i can say to those people you know like once they once we've won (laughs) i can say all these things that and all the other things that i can't say it doesn't really matter right um because what they need to know is that we fought and that it, you know, like there were points where it was really hard and how do we keep going and all of that. But like all the other things don't seem nearly as, I don't know, it, it takes some of the pressure off of like what I can't say, I guess. That's not the reason I do it, but I think that that's why I'm able to do it. Otherwise, I would probably be like, but there's all these things I can't say. But I don't feel that way once I get to the page because I do think I'm, I'm like, if I could talk to someone way down the down the line and hopefully we've won you know so like a narrator like from alexis gum's m archive yeah yeah honestly (laughs) something like yeah actually some somebody like that like this is how it was over here you know um that's really i i really like that i hope so i hope hers is so much more developed but (laughs) but like yeah something like that no i think you're 
doing, I think I'd say you're doing uh, slightly different things, I think. Oh, well, I hope it's, it's developed. I hope that it, it, it holds basically. Yeah, that's what I, <laughs> that's what I was trying to say. But, um, I guess too, I wanted to maybe talk about, since you mentioned risk, you mentioned, um, uh, was it Ian Balcom's book? That's how you say, it. I've never said his name aloud, but, um, was it Spectres of the Atlantic? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I guess how you see, because I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to get at like the long history of the various risks that people have faced, um, <laughs> and that you <laughs> that you kind of document throughout this book, whether it's you know that that book or the Zapatistas or you know raging raging against the machine, sending the cops donuts or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know where I found that story. <laughs> I, I for, like I honestly wish I was better at documenting every time I find these things because some of them are online, you know. Yeah, I have that, that same feeling all the time. There's so many things I read like five or ten years ago that I just know I can never never find again. Maybe they were posts on Tumblr, maybe they were, you know, articles written, you know, obscure journals or whatever. I just they're just gone. I know, and I, I really want to find them again. Even like Tupac signing his name on like the looted. Oh copies yeah, that was of- such a good one. <laughs> I was just like, Where did I find that? I like I know it's online somewhere. You know, and it was, I don't, like, just cite, like, random blogs. Like, I, I do look for news articles and things like that, or things, like, related. But I I just do, you know how the internet is? Like, you seriously can just get lost in all this shit. And it's hard to remember that you're, you, maybe you want to, like, document this or that, because all of the things seem fascinating at the time. And you don't always know which ones are going to stick with you. Yeah, and no, you get a lot into that, like, because, you know, we've talked about a lot of serious things, but you you talk so much about, like, pop culture in this, too. And, and I feel like yeah. that's, that's very much, um, like, that's the same way, like, pop culture hits your brains. You just hear these things about all the celebs, that, that all the celebs being added again, like, the story about Howard Stern or whatever. And it's like, yeah. how do these things even, like, I'm, how did that even, like, enter your conscious? I don't know. Like, it's like I'm trying to say, like, I don't know how some of these facts enter my conscious. It's just how pop culture works, I guess. It really is. It's that the the poem in there that's that Heath Ledger video one, the Perez Hilton link. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the oldest book in that or that's the oldest poem in that book. That's from two thousand six. And that was probably the first time that I like had some kind of realization about pop culture and like the connection for me between pop culture and politics and like history, all of that. It was the first time like I had to do it for a class and I really hated grad school. <laughs> I really hated grad school, and I really didn't like my my cohort <laughs> very much at all. And didn't like poetry wise. I I wasn't that good or anything. I wasn't doing like stuff that I would be that proud of now. But I just felt like the sensibilities were just incredibly different. So we had to write about pop culture, and that was what I wrote about pop culture, which was not so much like an, uh, a poem that just like it's not lyric it's not <clears throat> a narrative it is a list essentially a list and it's you know just like I literally looked at what was happening with Heath Ledger at that time and then like clicked on Heath Ledger's you know like went to his Wikipedia page and then like clicked on something there that took me to something elsewhere and like just kind of documented that and every once in a while, like, something would flash into my mind, like, something that I remember from 
my own life, but that there's something about how pop culture and history and like the way that pop culture works with all of it that really started to hit me then. And I think that's why it's in that book, just because it, it persisted. There's, there was something I still don't really understand completely. It's kind of like what you said, like, I don't know exactly why it works that way. I'm sure somebody somewhere has written a book about it, and I probably should read it, but I haven't. Yeah, if you find it, let me know, because I definitely want to read it, too. <laughs> but, it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, but I wanted to ask, like, too, like, how do you relate the pop culture? Because it feels like, well, let me ask this first. Like, how did that poem go over with your cohort when you, when you brought it in, I guess? <laughs> silence. <laughs> <laughs> it was silence. But at the same time, it was the first time that I could tell that it wasn't being dismissed. Like, people just didn't know what to do with it, but there was... A couple of people said something like, you know, basically that it, it felt solid. That something about it felt solid, which I never really got in my classes. <laughs> um, but I could tell just, and it was the first time where I, that's when I realized that poem is what made me realize that you didn't have to write a good poem. You just had to write a poem that like was doing something and that was doing it, like just going for it. And it didn't matter if it was, you know, like, I don't even know what good means. It's more like people couldn't look away. You know what I mean? Like, they like were like, what the fuck is this? And that is not a bad reaction. <laughs> and it turns out that didn't make me feel bad. Like, lots of other w people, you know, like, not people, lots of other situations in workshops where, like, I would hand in my poems and people would seriously, like, they, it was, it was kind of silent, but it was more like, don't know what to say not that in but it wasn't interesting like this they didn't know what to say but they couldn't stop looking at it and so it, it occurred to me like oh well i'm actually fine if like they don't like it or don't know what to say but it's this that that i like you know like if nothing else you have people that are like i can't stop staring at this monstrosity <laughs> or whatever you know <laughs> but like i can't stop looking i don't know what it is and i would like to be able to say what it is but I can't like they actually are interested enough in it to spend time trying to describe what it's doing or whatever you know yeah I I know what you mean I just like this whole book I feel like you're just you know like you said just like going for it rather than maybe necessarily trying to write <laughs> the the quote-unquote good poem that the MFA would approve of or whatever <laughs> right it's true it is true I think that I think for so many people we talked about this last time there's so much um, tension because like maybe you just don't relate to the majority of things that you're reading and the things that you like want to write or whatever, what comes out is weird or, you know, like does, it feels like it doesn't have a place. And it's, there's a huge thing that has happened to me at different points. And I think that happens to people where they're just like, fuck it, let's go, you know, and who cares? It doesn't matter. And it's the best thing. It is the best thing. Yeah, I guess I wanted to ask you too, like another poem where you, I think, kind of went for it <laughs> is um, <laughs> the, the one that I can remember the title was after um, Raquel Salas Rivera, though, I remember. And like you kind of talk. Oh, about, yeah. Yeah, you kind of talk about like the, I guess, sincerity, irony, kind of binary that kind of happens online sometimes. And I, uh -huh. I, and I feel like that kind of relates to pop culture in a way. And I wanted to ask you, like, like, how do you relate to pop culture? Because it feels like 
the two main modes for engaging with it are kind of like the sincere optimism and then like the iron <laughs> the irony version that we have online where it's like you just like, <laughs> hate, hate watch things and tweet ironically about them so funny um i mean I, I would i think i do love a lot of pop culture like i my relation to it it's i think that for some people like we we've lived through it <laughs> you know what i mean and so the way that you're like you can be ironic about like or sarcastic whatever about like things that you yourself do because we all have those things where we like tell stories about things that we do and we kind of roll at our eyes at ourselves like i don't feel like my sarcasm towards a lot of pop culture is much different than that because i feel like we won't like i almost understand things through it I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know that that's even healthy, but I'm just saying that that's like, I think that that's how big of a deal pop culture was to me. I mean, I, I don't know how you are. And, and I, I know like, hmm, how do I put this? A lot of people I met over the years, especially once I got to college, like they had families that kept them away from TV and away from pop culture. Is that a, a normal thing, by the way? Like, is that, I don't know how normal that is. Um, well, I grew up in a conservative small town with a lot of like evangelicals and stuff, and there were a number mm -hmm. of people for who that was the case. But I don't, I don't know if that's the case if you're like growing up in like a liberal suburb, though. I, d I don't know. I just genuinely don't. I don't know either. But like for me, my father, especially, but both of them in general, but definitely my father, so much pop culture, like so much, and there was. Like, all of the things now where people are like, you know, this is messed up and misogynistic. All of that, like, we probably needed a lot more of that back then. And so there was all of this, like, different pop culture that, you know, like, from the 50s and 60s, lots of Disney stuff. I still can sing you some of those songs. And I'm not talking about Little Mermaid. I'm talking about live-action Disney movies that, like, are from the 40s and 50s, like those movies with Haley Mills and like not just Parent Trap but Summer Magic and obviously Pollyanna but there was also like the Castaways um what's it, the one that I'm thinking of is that is that Summer Magic that I think it's Summer Magic it's with like uh what's that guy that tubby dude that you that sang like the Christmas carols and the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer <laughs> show. Like, I know so much about the, that those years of pop culture. It's incredible. So for me, like, I literally, like, it's just, it's always been a huge part of my life. I don't love it or hate it. It just is, if that makes any sense. Like, it just, I can't imagine my life without it. I think that when everything goes to shit, all of that shit's going to go too, probably. And I'm okay with that. But like, it's just life, if that makes any sense. Like, it's just been my life. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I couldn't help you with any of that. I didn't have the Disney Channel as a kid. So we didn't get that where I live. So I, <laughs> oh, I no, could no. not give you no any Disney Channel. No, it wouldn't be on the Disney Channel. But I like literally <laughs> no, no, I know no. nothing about any Disney properties. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It was, and it was like, it felt like propaganda. Like much later in my life, I was like, wow, that was propaganda. That so was. The, the song that I always think of with this is like, I think it's in Summer Magic, where there's like an entire scene with these girls trying to get this girl, Millie, who likes this guy 
to to be feminine and there's a song that's walk feminine talk feminine smile and beguile feminine utilize your femininity that's what every girl should know if she wants to catch a bow i still remember that like oh my oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah i still like it's just in there (laughs) you know um but no my father this is when vhs was like coming out and when i was five like this is the first time i remember going to a video store and like being really confused that you would go in there and there'd be these like video covers like the vhs covers and you could take them and somebody would give you this video and then you could go watch it like that astounded me i still remember the first movie that we rented was baby about that dinosaur anyways but (laughs) um we had a vhs machine and my dad got another one so that we could record and so we pirated so many (laughs) videos from video store (laughs) i mean like from the ceiling to the floor videos and each of those videos was not just one movie it was like several that's awesome that kind of reminds me of the, the quote you one of the quotes you used to start out um what is it popular culture and cruel work where it goes um and i just want you to know that this isn't me being interested <laughs> in these things but me being interested in you being interested in these things <laughs> exactly exactly and uh we um the person who's who i took that quote from yes she's probably the first person that i spoke to about popular culture in uh writing because she was actually she wasn't in my cohort but she went to grad school with me she was the one right below me and i love wean like wean's such a good writer and everyone yeah, that's an check incredible out. quote her book is so good it, good it's called asl and you can actually get it for free at commune editions uh website the pdf is there for free and it's yeah it's incredible. very good yeah, it's really good <laughs> yeah it's so good and she wrote most of those poems when we were in grad school um, and I like prior to Wien, I was kind of annoyed by most things that I read that entailed pop culture. After Wien, I found enough, like some more people that I really like. Like another person that I think writes really wonderfully about pop culture is Brandon Brown. I really like the way he writes about pop culture. Um, he had like this book called Top 40. <clears throat> um, when was it? Like in 2000. 14 or something like that but i really like the way he writes about pop culture um and wean though is my favorite uh and when i met wean and we would start talking about it like the thing i really liked about her is that she's very like she isn't into being ironic about this stuff like she's very sincere in her love of pop culture like she truly loves it and it was so cool to be able to talk to her about like what how important it was in our houses and part of why it was important at least in my house, and I, I can't remember if we agreed with me on this, but part of why is because it was, um, it helped with English. Like, that was a big part of it. Because my parents, you know, they, they spoke English, but they spoke Spanish first, and they, like, they, you know, didn't know how to pronounce all these words sometimes. Like, they would have to ask me, and there was still, like, it was, it was a way, it was like a window into a culture that, um, we were kind of not, it wasn't completely ours, you know, but it was like through those movies. <laughs> I don't know if that, if it, that's a really good way to explain it. Cause I, I'm, you know, my dad has been in this country for, his family has been in this country for a really long time. My mom's hasn't though. Um, and definitely like watching 
TV is a way to help you with your English. That's what they tell you. I think the best way, obviously, is going out and learning it. But sometimes people who, depending on where you are, like that can be a pretty isolating um, position to be in, you know, depending on where you are in the country. Uh, but in any case, even in where I was, where it wasn't isolating at all, um, my dad would still talk about like how you could learn all this stuff from these shows and movies. So it's a weird relationship that I have to, and I remember being able to talk very openly with Leanne about that, like how I don't, like I didn't like the way most people talked about it, but I didn't know what it was. And then I think that there was something to what she was saying where I think just our relationship to it was so different. It wasn't, it was um, like educational for us to, you know? Yeah, some of your poems like reminded me a bit of, of hers. Like she has a, like for instance, she wrote something like Jack Black was all, oh, you mean the mini bar in your mind? And you were just <laughs> like, I don't drink. <laughs> <laughs> I, she's she's so good. I really hope she's writing right now. I know she, she like writes on and off, but yeah, she's so good. She really is. But yeah, she she's very sincere in her love of pop culture. And if she says that she hates somebody in a poem, like some celebrity, she means that <laughs> very deeply. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of loves and hates in her poems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you do the same, I think. <laughs> I don't even remember at this point, but I do feel those things towards some of those figures in like the moment. But so many of them I also think of as like like Howard Stern, like what a joke, really. When I look back at that whole period, like and just how this stuff gets manipulated against us too, you know? I don't know. Yeah, Howard Stern's like an interesting one because, you know, the way he uses and you know, I mean you know, this goes back to the propaganda thing, but the way he uses comedy or the way like Rush Limbaugh uses comedy to mm-hmm. to just straight up do propaganda. Right. And I don't know, it's it's interesting to see, I guess, left poets maybe both use comedy but not use it to just do straight up propaganda but to you know go back to all these very scholarly sources nice yeah (laughs) Yeah, i don't know i don't know if that makes sense but that's something i enjoy seeing i guess (laughs) no that's that's helpful actually um so how do you see me using um comedy in the pop culture poems well i guess like i guess a good example of it for me would be like I was just talking to um, the poet up from some dirt and he's a big fan of uh, Ishmael Reed. And so I was reading some Ishmael Reed poems uh, this week and he has these poems where he's just like, yeah, I'm going to, we're going to, you know, get, get, we're going to break into Congress and put TNT in the inkwells. Whenever they try and sign a bill, it just explodes on them. And just, (laughs) (laughs) and I guess it's like some of that over the top stuff. And I feel like you do it at times too, but. I've been put on the spot, and I'm, I'm completely <laughs> drawn a blank on where it would be in this book. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to ask him a question. Yeah, like I don't know you, like the way you use, I guess the way you use pop culture. Just at times, it's yeah, I get the feeling like this is something that's that's happening to you, but also um, like the way you use it to talk about, I guess you know, like the again the riot and the party and the protest all at once oh yeah the, the like the uh are you talking about the london riot poem 
Yeah, I think so. And also, um, the, the one you had, the chapbook I, I acquired, I found in, uh, with, by Mondo Bummer, I think. Oh, what, what did I say in there? Honestly, I, so you're going to like the story, but I went to a university library that was nearby because I, I was like, oh, I wonder if this will be fun. And they made me, like, I wasn't a student there. So they, first off, they were like, I need your library card to check this out. And I was like, I don't, I'm not, I don't go here. And then they had a good laugh at that. Like, oh, he doesn't even go here. <laughs> and then they were like, you can, just, you can just read it at the front desk, but you have to put these white protective gloves on. And I was like, this is just like. Wait, some... what? Yeah. yeah For it, Mondo it, Bummer? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's just... very flattering and kind of weird and sad. Yeah. Cause it's just like. <laughs> It's just like a folded up copy paper in an envelope, not to be dismissive. I have one. I can send you one. I have another, like, I have a couple of copies. Oh, man, but that was just like, I was just like, well, Wendy's going to think that was like Wow. <laughs> so important. Yeah, yeah so I, guess funny. You, I guess you've made it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Wow, that's amazing. What, uh, what, was, what were the poems in there? I don't even, is pop culture in there? Well, it's more just like, um, I guess you talk more, more about, well, there's one poem I, I thought was interesting, like, um, where it's just like a list of things that I guess you're against. Like, I, I forget, I, and again, I couldn't really read it very carefully because of the conditions I was in reading it, <laughs> but it was just like a list of things like not this, not this, not this. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the first poem also had a lot in there about like, you know, like a rave in a party in San Francisco. Oh. <gasps> Oh, that's oh that poem. I know what you're talking about. That is the um, the great happiness space, right? Yes, yes. Okay, that's a movie that you should watch. <laughs> that is a movie you should definitely watch. It's so good. Have you heard about this movie? No. What is it? It's about um, basically uh, guys in Japan who uh like gigolo kind of guys but it's different it's not they're not quite gigolo they, they like i forgot what they're called but they they work in this nightclub and women come and pay them to just like keep them company um and it's amazing <laughs> it is an amazing movie it's really sad at times and i don't know there's and the movie's called the great happiness space and i feel like i will never write a poem that is deserving of that title as that movie but um, it's just, it's like super, I don't know, just kind of sad. But it, but it also is like, I don't know, I felt like I learned a lot from that movie. <laughs> but I tried to write a poem that was like kind of that movie. And it, it very much is ravish and people like the end with them running through the streets at like eight in the morning or something like that. Um, yeah. But that's where that's from. The not list, the not this, not that. It was somebody had said that poetry was like doing something. And I basically was like, no, it's not. And so all those things are things it's not like. <laughs> yeah, well, something else I wanted to. <laughs> that, this ties in nicely to <laughs> something else I wanted to talk to you about. But just uh -huh. today you, you tweeted something about. Um... Oh, my God. I lost <laughs> my mind today. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't worry that happened to me on friday i was extremely mad in posting so yeah don't it happens but i just wanted to ask like um about like you know the people just like come across like i guess bourgeois poets as you say and it's you know because there's so little critical writing and stuff it just feels like i constantly see people on the left just pick up 
poets, whether it's like, well, I, I guess, know. yeah, let's, I guess I'll name names, like say Ada Limon or something. And I'm just like, oh man, do you, oh, I can send you some tweets, but <laughs> I know, she's done, but I guess like, <laughs> I know. no, what uh, are you saying? Well, no, I'm just like commiserating. I know that feeling. And I know, you know, down to it. I don't know how much I should care, but it is, it does get on my nerves sometimes just because I'm like, I don't care about their world. Like, they can have their gated community, you know, but like, it sucks when people in my world, like, are basically doing what I did 18 years ago and like, just like, look wherever, you know? Um, and then you start to, you start to figure, like, it's just, I don't know, maybe they're, they won't be as bummed out as I was to find out, like, how terrible some of these people really are, you know? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of go by their tweets. It's kind of hard to ignore the tweets sometimes, you know? Um, and I don't follow a lot of these, to be honest, um, because I, again, I don't really, I don't know how much importance to place on this. You know, I don't know. Tell yeah, me, it's... how much importance do we place on this? <laughs> well, I would, I'd say I, I just generally try and ignore them too, but it, you, on a certain level, you, you just have to engage sometimes because the, people, people read them because, you know, they're come, they come out through, you know, the, they get propagandized through, you know, they, they're in Borders, they're in Barnes and Noble. Well, they're not in Borders because anyway, but they're in Barnes and Noble and these books are easy to right. get. You see them in used bookstores and sometimes the jacket copy is really attractive or whatever and people people yeah. read them like i got really mad on on friday because um someone was talking about someone posted about how um elizabeth warren's one of her pr people is like a poet long listed for the oh NBA. yeah i saw yeah and i was in someone and someone like retweeted that and posted like oh man i i really trust a candidate who has a poet it shows they care about words and i i would i really that really did set me off because i remember again 10 years ago when Obama came into office and people were calling him the reader in chief because he read Derek Walcott. And I was like, you, yeah, we, we saw, we saw what happened. It, it happened. It happened already. I'm getting angry again. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, well, yeah, because there's, a, there's a kind of like literariness that people ascribe to like education and being really like, well, liberal, <laughs> you know? Um, but people, part of it is that they don't think that liberals bad. Right. And liberal is bad. Like, liberal is exactly how we got Trump. Sorry, liberals, but <laughs> that's true. Like, it is all that, like, liberalism is, I, I honestly don't think it's a politics. I think that it's just whatever status quo. Yeah, no, I agree. One of the things, like, I used to think about liberalism, I think it was Asad, in Asada's um, autobiography, she said something like, um, liberalism is when the, the state isn't afraid and fascism is when they are afraid. There you go. That's not yeah. a bad one. Yeah. 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 I, I think about that a lot. That's actually wonderful. That is like, I, I really think that that's true, you know, but they, it, yeah. 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 So that's part of it though, is that like a lot of, you know, the, what they like friends again, like I don't care what most people read, but it's when like my anarchist and communist friends are asking me, about these poets and then i'm like no <laughs> you know like let out a heavy sigh oh, <laughs> yeah i was like no 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 and you know like they and you read the poems and you're like there's a reason that these poems are saying nothing you know like there, there, there's a reason that like you know this poet imagines the end of the world being like a literal 
moment out of what is that movie that that guy what is that movie called melancholia like, that is literally like the scene for for i don't want to say names but okay i'll just say ada limon like that 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 she has a poem that's like that and i it was infuriating to read that poem for me you know but i i think that other people don't get infuriated they just see melancholia you know but like for me i i think of like wider implications but i don't know that the poems actually make that happen you know like i don't know i don't i don't know you know like i i am somebody that ultimately believes that um what people do matters more than like what they write and what they you know all that but these people also do like all the things that we aren't happy about too you know like they're not questioning about the positions that they're in and these establishments like they seem just happy to be in them and they seem to be very keen on telling us how they're just very thankful and you know prize like award people that uh, give out awards and fellowships take note of people who just always have thankfulness in their heart you know for like for being able to live in the house that they live in to do the work that they do and that's typically like what those poems like that poem that I'm talking about literally at the end is like, you know, even if like everything happens like in melancholia, I'll look back to this moment where I was with you and I'll just be happy that we had it. <laughs> yeah. I, my favorite, uh, <laughs> It makes me want to slam my head against a poem. My favorite uh, <laughs> Ada Limon receipt is um, during Obama's second inauguration, she tweeted, um, I really want Richard Blanco and Obama to kiss right now. And I'm just like, do we have to do fan fiction right now? Come on. Come on. Oh, no. Yeah. God. Well, the Ringa from Mama, I guess, like, every time we oh, bring no. up that word, many mean names, because all somebody has to do is look up that poem, see everyone that did that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess um, maybe to quote one of your poems to you, uh, you don't need or want the people who you know aren't with you oh, to be with yeah. you. Really? You oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I definitely mean that. And truly, like, do you really want <laughs> that person with you? Like, they don't want to be with you. It's okay. That makes sense. You really wouldn't know what to do with them, and they probably would get in the way. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know how seriously to take all of that. You know, like, I, I certainly, like, I have, I have the problems I do with it, but I feel like the way to get them, which I'm not as, as interested in getting them as I am in, interested in getting the people who use them and i do think that they get used all the time um is not through poetry you know uh, so i mean how do you how do you think it's through i guess well like for instance i think that the ways like people have become a lot more interested in quote political poetry not because of anything that happened in poetry but because of what happened outside of poetry in the past like 10 years you know like it was all the stuff on the streets. It was um, Occupy, Black Lives Matter. You know, all of these things that, like, definitely there were people who wrote poetry involved in those things. But that wasn't the, like, way that that became, like, people became interested in being more political and fighting back and all of that because people fought back, you know? And, and I really do think that poetry has, has changed I don't know forever, but it's changed for at least a little while because of that. And like, there's all of these new people that are writing poetry and that are very visibly and vocally writing poetry. And they, to me, 
and I include you and like, you know, lots of people that I like, they are here because of all of that. And I think it's not a coincidence that many of them participated in those. Yeah, and I guess like to go back, like a lot of these folks, you know, when I read their earlier poems, they were just so not political and I want to return to, I've, I finally found the poem, the one where you talked, uh, the one that was after Raquel, um, uh, Finger mm-hmm. Trap. And at, at the end, you talk about how, um, like, because of the irony thing, some people, like to paraphrase, some claim, like, a swastika can be ironic, and some claim, you know, a swastika is just a swastika. And, you know, like, a few years ago, so many of these people were, I guess, you know, doing, advocating things, or, you know, just advocating free speech in a way that yeah uh led to the present (laughs) yeah definitely part of it absolutely i've noticed it too i mean like the whole thing with vanessa place when we were trying to get her to not be in that poetry thing a lot of those poets that's what that was their thing freedom of speech you know um and it, it did strike me as really interesting because some of those same poets i know they were there in the vicinity or they had opinions about what should happen when milo visited berkeley and what they think ultimately this is the other thing that this is why i'm like i don't know how important this is because it didn't matter what they thought you know with the vanessa place thing or that like milo vanessa place that wasn't up to them you know like it didn't matter what they and why it didn't matter is not because we got like you know a contingent of poets because frankly like i've had very little luck in that, you know, like there's definitely poets that come out, but I'm just saying like to have started there, I don't think that would have been as successful. It's all these other people that like don't care what the poets say, you know? (laughs) So, um, there, a lot of those freedom of speech poets felt the same way that they did about Vanessa places. They ended up feeling about Milo. Isn't that fucking disgusting? But they did. Yeah. And I mean like some, some more disturbing things I've seen recently, like, uh, Vanessa Place going on the popular anti-woke podcast Red Scare and I just see these kind of Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, well, I not only did I see it, I listened to the whole dang podcast cuz I Oh, wait, we did. You yeah. I remember you mentioning this. Uh, what was yeah. it like? Oh, it was awful. Within like 2 minutes Vanessa Place was just like saying slurs. Wow. Yeah, it was it was bad. They made a lot, I mean just like I guess for me like like how does this matter? Like I I see, you know, poets like that maybe pivoting to a new audience in a way that well, that's could be true. troubling. Yeah, I mean, you have a point there, for sure. Yeah, but I mean, I, and part of me too wonders, like, is it just like, you know, is this just them grasping at straws as their careers die, or is this actually a real thing? I mean, that's, that's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have any <laughs> answer. I guess the only way to know would be to break into Vanessa Place's, like, banking account to figure that one out. <laughs> which you know I'm, someone could do that pa- parody by the way parody <laughs> parody parody yes <laughs> um i think she's loaded isn't she isn't doesn't she have like plantation money or something oh does she i uh i don't I can't know that's what that. i remember hearing you know we never know when it's like isn't all money bullshit. plantation money well there you go <laughs> but <laughs> no, sorry. but I, I think that maybe that is the case but i'm not positive um that i think that's what was said around like 2015 when we were doing that work i'm not positive though yeah, um, i don't uh, yes no go on no go ahead 
I was, I was going to say, I don't remember Vanessa Place as much. I remember I, I paid more attention to uh, Kenny Goldsmith, um, not yeah. Vanessa Place. Uh, I didn't. I missed some of those think pieces. Yeah. Um, Kenneth Goldsmith, to me, was definitely more pressing. Um, Vanessa Place was, honestly, I was like, this has always been bullshit. So I didn't know, again, like, I remember when I responded to Kenneth Goldsmith. Um, well, in part because that just sucked and that was terrible. I mean, what he did was so fucking terrible. It was really hard to to not respond, you know. Um, but I'd already had a problem with him after he, like, dedicated his whole printing out of the Internet to Aaron Schwartz. And, like, as far as what I know about Aaron Schwartz, like, that guy was legit, you know. Um, and it really kind of made me mad that he would in dedicating his work to him which was like in a museum and you know like wasn't about like people having freedom to like see whatever and people all over the world getting to like use all of these you know um like things that are kept in a box by jstor or whatever it was very much just about like his art project and he's not for like freedom of information in that way you know um, and that made me mad. So I already had an issue with him. But then what he did with the Mike Brown piece was, I don't even know what the words are for that. But um, people at that time came after Vanessa Place afterwards. Like, I didn't initially. And I was just like, like, do I care? <laughs> you know, like, do I, I don't know if I care because she's just washed up is what I felt. But then I found out that she was coming to Berkeley. And I don't know. I was like, well, it might not be a bad idea to just like not let her. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I you mentioned um, Aaron Schwartz in that poem, and I I was kind of wondering how that fit in. So <laughs> that really helps with that. But I also wanted to ask too, because you brought him up. Like, were you like, have you been in those kind of like um, maybe like the the pirate like pirating leftist kind of online circles at all? Um. I no, not really, but like definitely I have always been about I I'm about people having access to all of the information that they possibly can. Yeah. I don't think that's the answer and that certainly isn't going to like get us where we want to go, but like part of like I want my books to be available if anybody wants to uh take a poem and put it in something that they like are distributing or that they're like raising money with like I don't care and I want for people to be able to use things like that like I've always been that way that's and part of like the truth is for me I was not against conceptualism or flarf any of that shit I wasn't you know um I have a problem with some of the things that some of those people did but like the concept like the idea that like they were just going to take all this information and mix it up like whatever you know there and there was like this kind of thing behind it like that they could just use material in whatever way they wanted to which i i tend to agree with there are these other things that they are completely insensitive to that i think makes them jerks um and racist often enough but like the i like i want us to get to a point where we're not proprietary about our stuff yeah i agree and like something like especially now with like the way Twitter works and the way the the right wing has really risen, I feel like there really is like a need for someone to comment on some of these like 
you know, whether they're the manifestos themselves or, you know, the right wing, co- you know, the right wing comment sections that that you can find on like, I don't know, QAnon, the Great Awakening, the Facebook page or something. Cause what, what is this stuff? Oh, like, so if you go on to like right wing Facebook groups or if you go on, or, you know, if you piss off a right winger on Twitter.com, as I have done on a couple occasions, you know, you get like a lot of really, you know, you, you get death threats, you get memes about helicopters, you get people saying, Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, got a few of those and but if you go into like you know their even their facebook groups i mean they just it's very clear like even the recently the um oh god the 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 police officer who went into oh, i forgot the guy's oh, i'm sorry i forgot the guy's name but the police officer who broke into her neighbor's house and and shot him because she thought it was her own house and she was drunk the one that oh she, yeah 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 but one of the ev- parts of evidence in her trial was you know they brought up some of the right wing memes she was sharing with her cop friends and you just read that stuff and it's like i don't like when i like think about in terms of like flarf or whatever i'm like yes there's really a need to talk about this in a kind of poetic context i think because it really is like influencing the present whether it's you know the various mass shooters or you know these the cops or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah does that that make sense yeah 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 it does um I don't know how, though. I mean, I know that there's always a way. Um, have you tried? <laughs> I have tried on a couple of occasions. I think one of them's in Paint Bucket, maybe. No, actually, it's not. Never mind. Oh, I need to read that. Yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember if I did. No, I don't think that one was. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just It's just this really weird thing where you, where, you know, you go, like, you know, it's it kind of, has the place of pop culture now where you know i was just like one of the times i was getting death threats i was just you know i was going about my day i was going for a run i was you know cooking dinner and then i just check notifications on my phone the whole time you know every few minutes and yeah just be like oh another death threat wow yeah, yeah i like, haven't gotten those as much but damn yeah i said um i said in well what really triggered them was i said in response to someone some right winger like you know if you get a cop's gun you should keep it you should be able to keep it and they really didn't like it Oh wow! Really? Over that? Yep. Wow. Yeah, that. I mean, I will say that I've definitely observed some behavior that. I mean, it's not even like maybe they're right wing. I don't know who they are exactly, but like, just in response to like people that are critiquing Latinidad and stuff like that, like the some of the responses of like supposedly you know i don't i don't know who these people are but like they're chicano or that's that's like the the accounts that they'll use at least that's what they say and i mean i definitely believe that there are chicanos like this but just like their responses are pretty terrible like they're they're racist they're just racist yeah well i think that maybe brings us back to jared sexton and the eugenic nature of some of you know multiculturalism or whatever Hello? Oh, sorry. I was. Oh, mm-hmm. you can hear me? Yeah. Oh, I, I was just saying. Um. Then I guess that kind of brings us back to Jared Sexton and the some of the eugenic nature of multiculturalism. Mm-hmm. I don't like and um. I guess what not to, not to make you talk about um Ansel Dua, but sort of those how those nation notions are, you know. Um, meant oh. To, yeah. yeah. Well, just sorry. like the erasure of entire peoples. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean. I yeah. think that maybe mirrors a, a policy in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely. Well, I remember when um, 
I don't know if the word's eugenic, but like definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, it ties into. I was using. I think um, Jared. Sex, sorry, I was, I was using because I think Jared Sexton maybe used it in that. <clears throat> I I feel like there is a connection, and I'm trying to like be precise about it because definitely that there's like, I mean, um, what's his name? Vasconcelos actually says aesthetic eugenics, like is what he imagines. You know, that's his like his idea of mestizaje that it's like this aesthetic eugenics that happens, um, which implies all that you think it implies about non-white people, because um, you know the idea is that they would. Well, he doesn't say that they're getting whiter, but he the idea is that you would erase black people and erase you know native people eventually. It's terrible. <laughs> um, but I, I, so there is like that element to it. Um, uh, what I, I remember when I was first thinking about all these kinds of things and it just seemed to me like the more I, I was just stunned reading that Vasconcelos essay, like how could anyone read this and think that this is okay? Um, and you know, like it's, it's not, it's not practiced or I, what I should say the myth the mestizaje myth, like in different Latin American countries, is different. Like it's it's not the same in every single one, and certainly the way it plays out isn't. You know, it's not like something that's written on paper. But in general, like this is that's the idea, right? And I remember reading that essay and thinking, like, just how racist it was, and and just getting to the point where I thought that, especially the way that Chicanos are not by and large, but a lot are are positioned <clears throat> in like the US now that you know it it wouldn't if there was a movement that was like Chicano, it would not be anti racist. Like I remember getting to that point and realizing like that it would not it wouldn't be an anti racist movement because you have all these people that are like not against border patrol. You know, they're they're okay with like all these Central Americans, you know, being caged for many years now and and now all these Africans and you know, I mean there's it's just it's it wouldn't be anti racist. Anyways, I knew I've got to this point where I felt that way and then over the last six months like watching people online kind of go back and forth about these things, it's kind of shocking to see how right that was. Um and to see, you know, just this, this racism play out and, like, the hostility towards Central Americans and, um, you know, Black Latinos <coughs> or Latinx people um, who are critiquing these things. To see the responses that they get, like, it's honestly really disturbing to me. Like, truly disturbing. Um, and, I, and I knew that... <laughs> That anyone who was like hanging on to this, like really hanging on to this in that way, inevitably, like it, 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 it suggests that level of racism. But to see it actually play out has been shocking in many ways. Like it's scary. Not shocking is not the word. Scary is the word. Yeah, I think you you cited in your book too, like you know, statistics about the number of Latinx like border patrol guards and stuff towards that end. If, if I'm if I'm remembering right. I've done it before. I definitely say I, I mentioned that you know I thinking about like these things that supposedly bring all all of us together. Like just reminds me of all these. I said Latinx in the in the uh, book, but I wish I had been more precise because like the majority of those aren't just Latinx; they're Chicano. 
you know, uh, Chicanos and Chicanas. <clears throat> um, but the way that they, they like, the way that they do the statistics, they just say Latinx, or, well, they'll say Latino, Latina. Um, and it's 51%, you know, but, like, if you live in these places, and I, I feel very blessed because I feel like I've connected with people that are, you know, still living in the RGV where I'm from, and it's different, you know, across the borders, the borders aren't all the same, but um, I will say for sure in the RGV, like, if uh, you're there, you you see the people that are working in Border Patrol, and it doesn't seem like 51%, it seems more. Because when they say, like, Border Patrol says 50, 51% of their agents are Latino, Latina, <clears throat> they're talking about all over the U.S., you know, but when you're in these places that are south, at least, like I said, in the RGV, it does not feel like that few. <laughs> it feels like way more. Yeah, and, like, I guess for me, some of the stuff, like, the Trump era says, like, you know, we're, you're talking about, how, like, how frightening it is, like, a lot of, like, I guess, sort of the, you know, Afro-pessimist work of, like, Frank Willerson or Jared Sexton, I'm just, like, yeah, wow, a lot of this stuff was too true in some very disconcerting mm -hmm. ways. I don't know, yeah. do, you, do you feel the same way about that, I guess? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to, well, I have my critiques of Afro-pessimism, for sure. Um, <clears throat> in terms, like, I'm, I'm not, like, a person that really fucks with ontology. However, um, there are two things that I think were incredibly important, and regardless of what anyone has to say about Afro-pessimism, I think that it's really important to pay attention to the fact that it was so appealing for a number of people, especially like in 2014, at least here. Like, I wouldn't say that BLM was that at all. Like, yeah, I it really had, sorry, not to interrupt, but it really did have like a huge surge of popularity in like, like 2012 to like 2015-ish. I, I definitely saw yeah. that too. Yeah, okay, so that's not, yeah, okay. Because so it felt that way here, you know, but I didn't know if it was like that in other places. Um, I didn't know what it was like outside the Bay, because on top of it being popular here, like I said, you know, Wilderson went to school here, and he actually had connections to, like, Black anarchists here, too. You know, so it wasn't just, like, you know, it wasn't random that I knew about him, you know? <laughs> like, he, he was connected to people that I was connected to. So I didn't know, like, how popular it got elsewhere. Um, but it certainly felt like it got really popular here for a while. Um, like I said, I don't think BLM was that. BLM to me looked uh, and, and seemed a lot more like um, intersectional, like uh, intersectional feminism. You know, like those things had more um, presence. You know, it just, it's, it didn't, I wouldn't say Afro-pessimism or anything. So I, I don't know what it was like around the country. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't know what an impact it had in other places yeah there's some kind of like sorry not to interrupt but like there's some <coughs> kind of confusion between some people maybe we could say um a case of mistaken identity regarding afro-pessimism and intersectionality that kind of yeah for some people become one and that's not the case yeah which is so wild <laughs> like I, I, no. I know it really is <laughs> you know you, you clearly haven't read either <laughs> right exactly um but you know so I def but two things I got from them that I think is, or especially specifically Wilderson that I think was so important, and it's in the introduction to his Red, White, and Black book. You know, he talks, he like critiques the left, and um, and and basically talks about how like there is this tendency of the left left to negotiate with the 
state, which is like basically he sets, um, like I guess, uh, black struggle kind of against that, which I think is true. And kind of, if I'm remembering correctly, like suggests that the marginalization of black struggle by the left tends to be because of like this this uh, incompatibility with the state, you know. And I think that there's truth to that. I think that was a really important point. The other important point that I, I know Jared Sexton wrote about specifically, but Wilderson brings it up too in the introduction to that book is POC and how like it ends up being anti-black, you know? And I think that that, that is something that what you're saying with the, which we're seeing with like the Chicanx, you know, kind of uh, response to a lot of critiques of Latinidad and, <clears throat> anti-blackness yeah that you know <laughs> like there's there's this this um this tendency for those struggles to be put on par with black and indigenous struggles and they're not in terms and when i say on par i don't mean like there's no discrimination felt or anything like that it's just that they're by putting them on the, like on the same plane and ha- and making it seem like everyone's in it together, there's not acknowledgement that like these other groups actually have marginalized and have done a lot to do to marginalize Black people and Indigenous people, especially Chicanos. You know, like I'm I I'm not going to pretend like I've thought as much about other groups. I've definitely thought a lot about Chicanos, and there's no doubt in my mind that like there's a lot of like counter revolutionary work that has been done. Um, by like marginalizing black and indigenous people it doesn't have to just be here like mexico too like it still matters you know yeah and i guess that's like fits into what we were talking about earlier like i quoted that poem where you talk about how uh you know you don't want the sort of narratives that are based on the erasure of something like you know the, the zapatistas right yeah exactly i mean well it really struck me like when i was, you know, I did go through this period where I was trying to write, like, all these Selena sonnets, because I honestly didn't grow up listening to Selena. <laughs> um, I still remember when I was a junior, I think, in high school, and I was in, in the hallways, like, between classes, and there was this uh, woman that ran up to me, this, like, young, you know, Chicana that was like, Selena died. And I, I was like, who? I really didn't know. Um <laughs> Uh, but my cousin did, you know, like my family, um, people in my family had listened to her. My mom and dad knew who she was. I just, I, I was a Nirvana person, you know, like I just listened to different music. And, uh, but after that, like I became very aware of her, you know, and, and I was introduced to her music that way. And I was never like, I was never super into her. I, like I said, I just feel like I have this, I have a, a relationship to pop culture that really is just like mostly oh (laughs) this person and this person and this person and it's just like in my life like i i don't feel i don't feel really invested in any of those people really it's i i don't when i when people get really worked up about like i just i don't feel a lot of investment i get mad when one of them like does something really terrible you know like sings for cops or like refuses to like denounce white nationalism you know (laughs) like that kind of thing but like i don't i just don't feel that invested anyways but 
I went through this period because I remember I was talking to my boyfriend, Josh, and I was like, do I have to write Selena sonnets? And he was like, you're a Chicana and you have a book coming out about pop or you have like a series about pop culture. You probably should write one Selena sonnet. And so I like set out to write, I thought, 10, but I didn't end up writing 10. Um, and, and I did it by reading this book on Selena um, and not just Selena, but like the culture around Selena or whatever. Um, and I remember being really struck by that, this, uh, well, no, that wasn't from that book. I also read a book written by her ex-husband about her. <laughs> That's right. So in that book, he had like these pictures of like her to-do list on there. And one of the to-do lists had, it was one of the last ones that had, um, you know, uh, look into, uh, read NAFTA and uh, work on Mexico plan or whatever. And it just struck me that, like, yeah, that you know, around the time that she was doing this, like, that's when the Zapatistas uh, went to war against Mexico, like, went, you know, came out as being against Mexico or whatever. Um, and she never said anything about that anywhere. I looked. I looked everywhere. She never said anything about that. And that really struck me. And that, honestly, in that poem where I'm like, you know, if who you are depends on you ignoring the Zapatistas and who are you becoming. Like, honestly, I was thinking of her. And just like, you know, what kind of, like, when you have that kind of visibility and you're like this proud Mexican-American, and what does that mean? Like, especially because so much of that hinges on, like, especially with her, like, you know, a relationship to Mexico. And what does it mean when you are ignoring them you know like seriously who who are you in relation to these people right and um, then you have the the poem like the very next poem is about imagining um someone singing the border patrol agent their favorite selena song yeah and like i guess you know that you know is another moment of that sort of i guess you're linking it to that same sort of nafta moment and how uh it kind of in a lot of ways was a meaningless way to perpetuate violence, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's certainly like it doesn't, this is where we go back to like, you know, how important is the poem or the like culture in general? You know, like it, it can just, if it's just the soundtrack for anything, you know, <laughs> like, I, I mean, it could be, you know, it, it could be. And the, I don't know if you know, so the, that poem, the one that imagines the person uh, singing the Border Patrol agent's favorite Selena song. That's from that book, The Line Becomes a River by uh, Francisco Cantu. In that book, he there's this moment, you know, like I know that you, most people that know me know that I like, you know, spent some time with other people organizing to, to bring attention to his book and how it was terrible. Um, and it wasn't his, it's not his book really. It was, it was what he he seemed to me at that point in time to be like a concoction that was created by like, you know, NPR, basically like this, this, they called him the Border Patrol agent with a heart of gold or whatever. And so it wasn't just his book, like, I don't really care that much about that. But he was, you know, becoming this person that was going to be at the front of everything and explaining Border Patrol and like, you know, and he was not against border patrol he was just wanting people to be nicer you know um and in his book like people the response that we got to that at times was just like you know about he was how he was so nice and they were 
obviously one of the first things people just kept saying is like that we hadn't read the book and like I read the damn book before anyone could say anything like that because I wanted to be able to like just talk about it um even though I also defended people who didn't read the book because really you don't have to like you can there's plenty of books that we don't read and we talk about as if we've read them because we've all heard about you know like I'm not going to compare his book to like major fascist books but like there are plenty of those that we haven't read and we talk about them, you know? Um, <clears throat> so uh, I, I, I did read the book. And in the book, there's this part where he talks about picking up this woman who um, had been sneaking across the border and him and his uh, partner put, you know, put her in the backseat of the, the car and they're driving and she starts singing a Selena song that they all like. And they kind of like are laughing at her in this part. And it's like nobody, everybody just was like, oh, Selena's in it. But like it seriously was like they were laughing at her. Like he said something like she wants to be a singer to his partner and, and his, they're laughing. And he's like, she already is. Ha <laughs> And I was like, this is not, this is terrible. This is so mean. Like, how is this in any way cute? But I know that that's what was being, like, that's what, that was the desired effect. And if some, one of the, his, like, interviewers brought it up as, like, you know, well, we know that you, like, have a soft spot for Selena fans. Like, it was terrible. So that's why I wrote that. <laughs> like, I was thinking of him and then that book. And I wanted, I, like, it, you know, when I submitted that, that poem ended up being in the Academy of, of American Poets or whatever that academy website is poma day that's it um and i i said that you know it was in response to this book but it specifically is taking like a part of that book and i honestly hope that he read that because that's i think my point is really clear in there like it's just mean like this thing this this scene that you had was just mean and you would probably understand that if they would have put fucking bitty bitty bomb bomb as the backtrack to that part of stuff you know of uh, uh reservoir dogs <clears throat> yeah i mean you talk about i guess too like the reality on the the border later in that cycle of poems where you say like you know disposable domestics and the you know the um oh it's the poem after and for jamie barut mm -hmm. yeah and i guess you know like there's like a, like you're saying you know like you've been getting at this whole time you know there's a there's a context in which all that took place and the context was, you know, the the feminicide and across the U.S. border in Mexico, right? Uh, yeah, and I guess I guess too. I just wanted to ask, like, um, how did you come across like um, Jamie's work? Um, in 2015 or 16, my friend Oki, who I love a lot and who's also a writer, and who everyone should check out her work too, um, Oki Sugumi, uh, told me about Jamie. Uh, she was like, "Have you heard of this girl, or this woman?" And um, she sent me like a link to uh where i could get jamie's book which was about the rio grande valley and i immediately got it and read it and i thought it was great um it's such a good book um otros valles is what it's called and it and what really struck me too is that in the book like she mentions frank wilderson and like basically jamie had been doing some of the same kind of thinking that i had been doing and we're like in two very different places but we're both from you know, she's from Brownsville, which is where my mom's from. And it is very different there than Harlingen, but these places are 30 minutes apart. 
Um, and I went to Brownsville all the time and I lived there briefly with my aunt, like in the summers. Um, it just struck me. I was like, damn, that's so cool. Like this is, it was the first time that I'd read anything from someone in the Valley where I was really proud to be from the same place. You know, like we were thinking about the same kinds of things. And, you know, I was, I learned a lot from the book too. Um, it's not, the perspective is different than mine, but like there's definitely overlap in like affinity. And that was such a nice feeling because like my whole life it's been on Zandua and I feel very weird about that, you know? Like I, I'm supposed to be like excited, but like I can't be, you know? Um, so it was amazing to see that Jamie was like thinking about some of the same things that I was. Yeah, it does seem like there's like, I guess a, a moment, maybe maybe it's past, I don't know, but like where a lot of people were doing that kind of work and like I guess trying to incorporate say like you know Frank Wilderson or some of this stuff into into poetry in really interesting ways but I guess none of it's I would say poetry foundation approved no 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 it's not <laughs> um yeah you and you can see why too you know definitely it's well especially at the time like that's what was so amazing like to find Jamie's work because that I mean I didn't get as much shit as I thought I would get, but I still got shit, you know? Um, and definitely when I would meet up with people who were not against me, basically, and that were from, like, the places I was from, um, you know, their first question was, how much shit did you get? That was always the first question. Anyone from the Valley, or, like, actually, they were all from the Valley, but, like, anybody who was a writer from the Valley who, like, got in touch with me, that was their first question. How much shit did you get? Because it was a big, like, she's huge. And, the, you know, I get, I get frustrated because I know that, like, there's some people that this isn't, this isn't an issue for, I guess. But, like, everywhere I turned, it was an issue for me. Like, I had to deal with it, you know. And for a lot of people, like, even recently I got, you know, uh, a direct message from somebody in Canada who's also frustrated, you know, over the same kinds of things. Like, she's, I mean, she's, like in the canon you know so it's it's like it wasn't you know it, i think for a lot of us it, we did it not because it was like the easy thing to do we did it because it really got on our nerves and it was really it seemed really wrong you know um and sometimes i just recently somebody was saying something about how like people talk about Anzondua and it's like they have nothing else it's like <laughs> i have plenty else however this has just sucked and it keeps coming up. I would love it if it stopped coming up, coming up. I would love if people like didn't teach her at the level that they teach her. You know, I would love it if like Mesti Sahe was roundly just like not cool, but it's not, it's still not that way, you know? And I, there's not like, I don't really, I'm not going to study on Zandua any more than I already have. I, the only reason I came back and studied on Zandua when I like did the book is because I wanted to make sure, as I did with Gantu as well, if I'm going to critique somebody, I'm going to look through all their shit, you know, and I'm going to see if there's something I can salvage. And if I can't, then I can go in as hard as I want. I have to feel like, I have to feel like I've done due diligence, you know? Um, and so I looked through her stuff. Like the other thing too is I, <laughs> so one, one thing that I did is I, um, uh, I was reading interviews by her because I was, I was trying to see if maybe she had 
she was friends with this person here in the Bay. Do you know who Dodie Bellamy is? Do you know that person? I know the name. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so me and Dodie Bellamy have a sordid history. <laughs> we do not get along. Um, and we met in, well, kind of, met in like 2011. We had a run-in, I'll say. And very quickly, like, it wasn't, you know, it was a tense relationship. And then later it got even worse. And I knew that Dodie Bellamy, because I'd read something, like some book that was maybe like an anthology or something she put out a long time ago. And I remember reading that, like some some memory that she was having of like I think it was the eighties and um one of her friends was on Zandua. You know, and I remember so when I went back to look through, through on Zandua stuff, I was like, maybe I will find her talking about white women <laughs> and like her experience with, with like white women and I could imagine that she like gave Dodie hell. And I never found anything like that. As a matter of fact, I ended up finding like this thing where she, there was like a, a moment at some conference where like all these women of color walked out of the conference because they were so annoyed with like the white women not taking like their struggle seriously. And Anzandua was the paid speaker at the, at the conference and she didn't walk out with them. And that would have been one thing, you know? Yeah, like, I remember hearing that story too. Uh, yeah. She lost a she really lost a lot of friends around that time, I think. Oh, really? I think interesting. I think maybe, but I mean, again, that this is me remember trying to offhand remember blog posts and the story. You know, artic- articles I can I can no longer find. <laughs> yeah, she. Well, like, I have. I know, Go ahead. Oh, so, like so, like I know she like split with you know her longtime collaborator Sherry Moraga in I oh. think the late '80s or early '90s. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, you know, like with Maraga, I wonder, you know, I don't know that I haven't really seen her maybe developing the same concepts, but I'd have to go back and check. But Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm getting at is like, I wonder, I don't know, I wonder like if there's going to be a reassessment of some of these thinkers like from that era who maybe are quite canonical now. Yeah, I mean, it seems that it's starting, but it just hasn't, you know, like it's, it's still, there's, well, Gonzalo is definitely still there like even when so Dodie Bell and me and I had like another headbutt incident around the publication of Brazilian is not a race and she brought up like she's there was something that people were pissed about with Brazilian is not a race and um she basically was saying that like she had more of a problem with like how I talked about Anzandu in there and that you know like Anzandu would probably be remembered more than any of us um yeah so I think that there's some there's a reason that Dodie said that, and there's probably some truth to it in some ways, just because Anzaldua, like her no taking sides crap, is like definitely, you know, like congenial to a lot of things. Um, but in I mean, like she uh, she didn't walk out, and that would have been one thing. But this is the part that I have a real problem with: is that she didn't just not walk out; she came up with a reason why she shouldn't walk out. And shouldn't have walked out. Um, and she like basically said her role as a neplantera or whatever was to be like always a mediator in these kinds of situations, you know. And then like that, so you come up with a position for yourself that says you don't have to ever take sides in these things. Like the fuck, you know, it's terrible. 
So that was why I went, when I went back, I went back looking for like something that wasn't that. And when I found that, I was like, okay, I'm done. Like I'm done looking here, you know, cause not even with that, even with like this, this really dumb petty thing that I was looking for, I couldn't find it. Yeah. And I feel like though, to get back to something you were saying earlier, like, and I feel like because you did all that, that research, I think a lot of people maybe are, maybe, maybe you, maybe you could. Maybe you don't feel this way, but I think a lot of people perhaps are are afraid to to say that because you know you you've done all the you've done all the research. Like, what, what oh. possible answer <laughs> could there be? And you know, what's also wild about it too. I wanted to mention too is like you know the Jared Sexton critique of Unsel Do is from I want to say like 2008. It's you know yeah, it's over it's over a decade old. Yeah, it was around way before what I was saying. I he helped me for sure. You know, like I. Like I said, this person, um, Cherie, actually is their name, um, that I, the student that I met through Berkeley, they were just like, you need to read Jared Sexton. And I put it off and put it off. And then finally I did. And I was like, holy shit. They were like, I told you everything that you say, <laughs> like it's there. And it, it just like really helped me kind of hone it, you know, um, because definitely like he did a lot of the, like so much legwork for that. Yeah. He went back and read. Uh, a lot of the you know the aesthetic eugenics <laughs> he died yeah yeah, he yeah. That up. yeah yeah he was it, it was incredibly helpful to read that book yeah um i guess um is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we that we maybe didn't get to about cruel fiction uh not that i can think of can is there anything that else that you wanted to talk about <laughs> i'm trying to think yeah um, i uh i can't think uh what about uh, do you, mm. Yeah. No big things covered. It seems. 